Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today's episode is a throwback, uh, but also it's kind of a weird episode. We're replaying the first episode I was ever on with this podcast. If you don't know the backstory, I was first a guest on the Adventure Sports Podcast back when Travis and Kurt hosted the show. And uh, yeah, I was a guest just like any other guest. And then I, you know, I happened to live near Kurt and Travis, so we kind of became friends. Uh, they were wanting some help with the be, to be hosting, and I, I was interested in, in figuring out how to, to host a podcast. So they gave me this opportunity, and after a few months, they were like, you know what, why don't you go ahead and take it over, and uh, we're going to go on and do some big adventures, because one of the reasons they wanted to stop hosting was because the show had had such a big impact on their own lives that they were ready to take... Uh, an adventure for themselves, but if they did, that would prevent them from also hosting the show. So they needed someone to come in who was entering a different phase of life. I was almost starting to to get more of in, in a routine. Get, I was in my mid twenties and getting ready to uh, uh, pretty much settle in a little bit, start a family and whatnot. So it was perfect timing. Uh, the transition went so great; they made it so easy for me, and I've been hosting the show ever since. But I am throwing it all the way back to 2017 when I first got on the show, first met Kurt, um, and so I, I haven't even really listened to this all the way through to hear how it sounds or if there's anything I say that's super cringy now or, um, I, I, I don't know, we'll see, but I, I figured it'd be fun to listen to. If you haven't heard already, I was also on the show with Outdoor Vitals, uh, Live Ultralight Podcast. I've linked that in Instagram. Um, and I'll also link that in the show notes. Definitely check out their show. That was another, uh, uh, Tayson interviewed me there from Outdoor Vitals. And I was able to tell some of these same stories, tell some different stories as well. It was a great, great time being on the other side of the mic. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into uh, my very first story on ASP. Hey friends, thanks again for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today I want to say welcome to Mason Gravely. Mason is one of these crazy athletes that has done the Colorado Trail Race. He's done the Tour Divide. He's planning something we've never talked about on the show before, which is the Tour to 14ers coming up this August. I'm excited to talk to him. Mason, welcome to the program. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. So you must be a mountain biking crazy guy to be doing all this stuff. I don't know, man. I'll be honest. I'm not crazy about it. In fact, I don't I don't actually ride all that much other than on trips and like getting ready for trips. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. I, it's just I, I like to go out there and do these trips kind of, uh, I don't know, as a normal person, not as someone that can train for 30, 40 hours a week, but just as someone that has a job, someone that has, you know, a family and responsibilities, but that can get out and do this stuff. So a lot of times whatever shape I'm in <laughs> when I start a race is – I don't know. It can vary greatly, but <laughs> well, I like your approach because we love to encourage people to go for it, right? And yeah, so definitely. I think that's really fun that you're saying. No, I'm just an average guy, but anyone that bikes over 500 miles, you know, mostly single track, and probably does that in just a handful of days, or does the tour divide, you've got something special going on, 
You maybe maybe you like to say it's just average, but dude, that those are big feats. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I guess in the moment it doesn't feel like it, but yeah, the tour divide felt huge. But honestly, when you break it down to days and break it down to hours. I don't know. I spent a lot of my time pouting, <laughs> just thinking, what am I doing out here? Why am I like spending time away from work and, and, and you know, getting real things done, quote unquote. But no, it, it, I guess what you fall in love with when you start doing these things is, is the juxta- juxtaposition against your normal life. And also mm. um, just how you see what you're really made of and you see kind of who you are you go to you, you go to dark places but then you go to highs you've never experienced otherwise and uh after a while of normal life you kind of want to see if you still have it and what else you can discover about yourself and what more beauty you can see so you want to do it again despite that just torture you go through but also those wonderful experiences you go through at the same time in a single experience single trip you know i've never done anything as big as either of those and so you know i'll take your word for it i've experienced what you're talking about probably in a smaller way just on backpacking Mm -hmm. trips or climbing 14ers or something like that but to do something that's day after day after day very little sleep you know that kind of thing uh i hear what you're saying we've heard a lot of guests talk about how you learn so much about yourself you know, mm-hmm. and you go yeah. to places you've never been before on the inside. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. very, very cool. <laughs> and it shows on the outside because <laughs> every trip I usually have a couple breakdowns at some point. <laughs> right. Well, it's I was, tough. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, what you were going to say? <laughs> oh, just, I guess, an example. I, on the Colorado Trail Race a couple summers ago, <laughs> I was having this. I mean, you guys interviewed the founder a couple weeks ago or something, and he was talking about there's downhills that you have to carry your bike down. It's so gnarly going down, and it's so true, man. I'm miles of hiking down a mountain, carrying your bike down each ledge, and it just got to me at some point because I kept tripping and falling over the bike. I just threw it. I threw it down <laughs> and let it fall as far as it could, and then I threw a rock at it. And I'm just like cussing up a storm. And then I go around this boulder, family of hikers sitting there like terrified because they were only 10 feet away from me. And I didn't (laughs) even see them. And I just, oh, I felt so bad. But I thought I was all alone out there just kind of letting my emotions fly. But no, you got to be careful with stuff like that. You know, not only for safety, but I don't know. You just, I need to have a little bit better control (laughs) over my emotions than that. Well, Whoa. people often assume that they're all alone when they're out in the middle of the wilderness. And I have a yeah. a, a really embarrassing story about that. Uh, some buddies and I, we hiked into a wilderness area in the dark after work, right? And yeah. we wanted to put our packs somewhere where they'd kind of be away from us in case of animals. So we walked up on this rock outcropping and we hung our packs kind of in a tree up there and we didn't have a bear line, which we should have used, but at least that way we thought, well, that'll help a little bit. And then we all had to pee, yeah. so we peed off this rock outcropping, and we're making all sorts of noise and laughing and carrying <laughs> on. So we go back and sleep. The next morning, we go to get our packs, and there's a tent right at the bottom of the rock outcropping. Oh, my They're making gosh, breakfast. <laughs> oh, 
There's a gal looks up at us and starts laughing and asks if we would like some breakfast, you know, and we're like, oh, no, we almost peed (laughs) on your tent. Oh, my gosh. They probably did. They were like, I didn't see rain in the forecast. (laughs) (laughs) It's horrible. So just a word to the wise listeners, (laughs) you may not be as alone as you think you are. That's hilarious. Man, good story. funny, man. Good story. (laughs) So let's rewind a little bit. Who is Mason Gravely? Where do you live, and, and where'd you grow up? Well, uh, cool, yeah. I, I live in Lakewood, um, right at the base of uh, Green Mountain, on the very west side of Lakewood, just kind of on the other side of Green Mountain from Golden. Moved there a couple months ago, but I've been in Denver a few years. Um, my wife and I moved here from Florida about two and a half years ago, and uh, yeah, just Fell in love with Colorado. I had a short stint in California in Yosemite Valley. Lived there for about six months and uh, got married and moved here. Just always loved Colorado. Saw saw it a lot on bike trips that I had done in college. And, uh, yeah, we talked about it one day and decided to pack our bags. Wow. So in Yosemite Valley, does that mean that you're a climber as well? No, I... Not really. Um, I got into it a little bit there. I have some friends that are avid, definitely, and they kind of helped me out and get into it. And they live here, actually. They We all kind of moved here to, together. Um, but it's just the place, man. The place is so iconic culturally. Uh, you know, it's kind of the birthplace of the National Park Service. Um, started a worldwide revolution of setting aside land for the public use really and public enjoyment which is just i find that is just an amazing concept and that place is very very iconic and just i like to take pictures and so you can't you can't take a bad picture there so so it was more the natural beauty and and the culture that drew me there yeah man it is it a beautiful does. place it really is oh man i try to go once or twice a year and I love Colorado, but there's something about the Sierras that I can't get over. I just can't. I pinch myself every day I'm there. <laughs> but but here is pretty wonderful, too, so I'm not complaining. It, 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 it beats the heck out of uh, Central Florida. Don't get me wrong, so I yeah. don't mind. You know, I've talked to a, a lot of world travelers, which has been a real blessing. You know, I'm humbled yeah. by the the opportunity to have done that. And a common theme that I've heard is that there are gorgeous places all over the planet, amazing experiences to be had and, and places to see and enjoy. And while people believe they've seen places that are as beautiful as Colorado, they all kind of hesitate to say more beautiful because Colorado has such amazing beauty itself, you know? That is so true, man. I when I did the Colorado Trail race, this just just reminded me of this. I did it with a friend, and he had just toured through uh, through China, um, through both islands of uh, New Zealand. He had spent like three months on the bike touring, kind of around the world, just kind of jumping to different locations. But he toured the entire length of New Zealand, and no joke, probably a month later, he was on the Colorado Trail race with me, and he said and. I, I have to take his word for it because that's a place I've always wanted to go but haven't had a chance to yet. He said it, the Colorado Trail, the beauty of Colorado was more beautiful to him than New Zealand. I think because uh, he said that the vastness is just mm. goes on and on and on. It almost like 
New Zealand, he could get across an island or get pretty far every day. But here he said it never seemed to end. And that just struck him as so different than what he had seen elsewhere in the world. And so, yeah, I don't think anything, I, I know there's places just as beautiful, but I would hesitate to say anything surpasses the beauty we have here in our backyard. Yeah. And of course, the Adventure Sports Podcast is heard all over the world. So, you know, we're talking about Colorado because it is our backyard. But for those of you that are outside of Colorado, sorry if we spend so much time on it. We love it here. It's just an amazing place. And hopefully you can come and visit and experience it with us sometime. Absolutely. So, Mason, um, you have toured back and forth across the U.S. thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. Tell us about that. Oh, man, what do you want to hear about it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I Um, guess where did you start and where did you go and why did you do it? Okay, yeah, yeah, let me get into how I got got started. Let's see. About six years ago, um, I was in college. I think I was going into my junior year or something, and uh, I had a roommate, and we we were best friends, and we played basketball together in college, and we were just talking about it was the beginning of the fall semester and we were just talking about like what we had done that summer. I had gone overseas on a trip and uh, he had done some stuff and we were sitting in our apartment with a big world map on the wall. And he's like, man, he goes, this is my last summer. He was graduating. He goes, let's do something crazy this summer. I'm like, all right, what do you want to do? He's like, let's just, get some bicycles or something and go as far as we can. And I thought, okay, you know, we're in, we're in school in central Florida. I'm thinking like, I don't know, cross town, cross the state. <laughs> he said, no, he point, he got up from the couch and pointed at the map and said, no, we should go to Alaska and ride our bikes back home. Go to one way ticket to Alaska and ride back to our driveway. And I just said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And so right there, man, we decided and, Man, we didn't we didn't have bikes. We didn't know anything. I don't know why we just decided then, but we did. And he he's kind of a he's very analytical. He's he's a he he thinks totally different than I do. And he's he, he's very statistic based and numbers cruncher and all that. He said, "I give this thing a twenty percent chance of happening." I'm like, "All right, all right, twenty percent. That's not that's not terrible." <laughs> We walk out that day, man, and just kept talking about it. And by Christmas, we had bought plane tickets with with no plan. And uh, yeah, as soon as school got out, we left two days later and uh, on a one-way ticket to Fairbanks, Alaska. That is so cool. So did you guys train for it? Did you bike it, you know, up and to that point? Or was it more just a matter of, oh, we'll find out when we we get going? Oh, man. (laughs) We, I was, I think I was 20. And, uh, we, we thought we trained, I, I, we rode our bikes probably, I don't know, twice, two or three, <laughs> two or three, two or three times we did like little 40 mile rides and thought we had done something right over the course of six months, man, that was our training. We had no idea what we were doing. We, we got, we only got the bikes two weeks before we left and, um, yeah, we get up there. I remember sitting on the plane and going to Fairbanks and I was looking at Paul and I'm like, Paul, we don't really, I don't know how to change a flat tire. Do you? <laughs> oh, he's no. like, no, I'm not even joking, man. I don't know what we were thinking. I, I get these uh, Facebook notifications of like memories and I and all these 
pictures have been popping up the last few weeks of the first bike trip, and I just think, God, I was in total idiot six years ago but my parents must have thought we were crazy <laughs> and we were in a way but we got on the plane and you know like i said we were talking about flat tires and i remember paul saying well maybe maybe we won't have one we won't have to worry about changing man the first day we had two flat tires and it was snowing on us so we had to figure <laughs> out how to do that and, we, and it was may in florida you know when we left it was 95 degrees there. oh yeah it was snowing in alaska we had no idea i mean we we had done research and stuff but it really doesn't you're so optimistic especially if you're you know naturally a positive person that you're just not looking at all those red flags so you're just like yeah i'm sure it'll be warm enough yeah i'm sure this will be a great year to travel i'm sure this will be you know this will work out and then reality hits you. I remember having this huge smile on our face when we started off from Fairbanks, and within an hour, I just it sunk in. Like we saw these totally snow-covered mountains that I had never seen before in my life, and I just thought there is no way we're going to be able to do this. There were moose running around, man. There were bears. It was snowing and raining. It got so lonely so fast on that Alaskan highway. Oh yeah. And we had you know totally miscalculated how far we could go each day at first at least and it took a few weeks before i could even fathom us finishing in time because i had to go back to school at the end of the summer so i had a deadline to get back in three months and thankfully it took about two so by the end of it we were we were cooking wow you must have been so i love it that you guys decided to try something and you went for it you know, I would always encourage people to be safe. You know what I mean? Yes, but absolutely. I, I still think you just sometimes got to go because you won't know, you won't experience it, you won't figure it all out until you go try, right? So absolutely. what were the first couple of weeks like? Oh, man, I remember day two. We got to our first town. I think, well, I don't even remember the name, but... The sun was up for 20 hours a day at that point. So it was really, we would bike till like nine or 10 at night and get up at 10 in the morning because we were so exhausted and start biking around noon. It just didn't matter because the sun was up all the time. And our calendars were, to our schedules were totally thrown off, um, our biological clocks at least. But man, I remember calling my mom on the second day thinking like, I think we've made a terrible decision. <laughs> this is really, really, and it was day two, you know, and, I, and I'm a little melodramatic, so I'll just go ahead and admit that. But it was a lot harder than I expected. But at the same time, the rewards were just greater than I could ever, my ideals could ever imagine. So I, I like, I imagine how wonderful it would be, but the actual experience was just a thousand times greater while the actual lows were much more difficult than I anticipated. Oh, um, yeah, no doubt. But part of our motivation was I had been to Africa the summer before, and we had decided to, to make this trip like a fundraiser for uh, to build an orphanage in Uganda. And uh, so that was kind of a motivation that kept pushing us through, and people were following us for that reason. So we were raising funds the whole time had just a couple stops that we were we had pre-planned but as far as routes man we didn't we had a paper map and phones like that was right when i i didn't even have a smartphone paul did paul had like an iphone one the first <laughs> and so we just pulled up the map every once in a while to check our location and 
just kind of made up a route as we went and just let adventure take over. And it was a monumental experience. All right. Well, let's fast forward. It's been a month now. You're in the middle of your ride. Um, how's it different from the beginning? Yeah, it's probably halfway. We're about to hit the American border. Um, you're just, the, the, the snow finally stopped. It snowed on us probably a couple times a week for the first month until we hit Glacier National Park in Montana. Right. And that was the last day it snowed. And finally after that, and then we go, started going across the plains. And that was actually a lot more thrilling than I anticipated. I'm like, God, we're going to spend eight days going across Nebraska. <laughs> this is going to be terrible. But it actually ended up being really, really cool. Uh, there were tornadoes. There, there were sirens going off like <laughs> a couple nights. Like we, we would sleep in cornfields, man. And oh man, can I tell you a story real quick? Oh yeah, do it. So I had a cousin who had quit. This isn't really part of the story, but he had quit drinking and he was talking on the phone to me, and I was encouraging him to like, you know, not to drink. And we were just having this really deep conversation. And I was literally sitting on. It was a baseball field in a cornfield, just like Field of Dreams, and I was sitting on one of the bleachers um, just in this field, and uh, we had decided to set up camp right next to this baseball field. sun's gone down, it's pitch black, and then all of a sudden, through the stalks of corn, this flashlight emerged, and under the flashlight was the barrel of a gun. Whoa! And it confronted me, and this, this guy said, what are you doing here? And I'm on the phone still. I'm like, Austin, hold on one second. Somebody's <laughs> talking to me. Maybe I shouldn't have said my cousin's name. But oh, well, he'll, he'll, he'll be fine. And this guy was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, we're, we're biking across the country, raising money for an orphanage in Africa. I was really trying to pitch it to him. Like, hey, we're not, we're not going to harm you. We're totally harmless people. Please don't shoot me. And no joke, man, this guy didn't say another word. He just backed back into the cornfield and left it just till I couldn't see his light anymore. I don't know which way he came from or which way he went after that, but it freaked me out that <laughs> night. We go to sleep and I tell Paul that what happened that night, man, a storm rolls in tornado sirens go off all night long. Our tent is it, the wind's so hard that our tent's just laying down on top of us. Wow. Oh, it was the worst night, but yeah, that was just one of those things, man. I, just every single day, something crazy seemed to happen. Maybe not to that level, but some sort of really incredible experience, very memorable, seemed to just totally saturate that first trip. And I'd say every trip since then has been trying to recreate that sort of magic that just kind of overtook that first experience. Wow. I bet you're just crazy glad you did it. In the end, it had to have been the right thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, there were... Yeah, absolutely. We The people we met, the animals... I mean, there was a day that a, that a buffalo chased us for three hours. <laughs> what? A, a bison. We we actually chased it in British Columbia. It ran in front of us like, like a reindeer leading a sleigh on the highway for 10 miles. Then all of a sudden it got off the road and then started chasing us down the road for five miles <laughs> and in, into the woods. We had to ditch our bikes and run in the woods and it came after us. And it, it was nuts. But yeah, I, I can't tell you. When I went back to school that next semester, man, <laughs> I had this confidence like I had never had. I'm like, I can do anything. 
and I was taking all my like upper level chemistry classes, I failed them so miserably because <laughs> I was just in a daze the rest of that semester. It took a while before I could, I don't know, just come back to normal life after having that kind of experience. I can but imagine. I wouldn't trade man. it for the world. Hey, you're no just doubt. thinking, hey, I, I raced a bison and won. I can do anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can understand organic chemistry yeah. without trying. <laughs> I sleep through tornadoes. <laughs> exactly. But no, it was, uh, I, I would encourage, if I have kids or anyone that's kind of coming of age, man, I'd encourage them to do something like that. I, I, I'd say that was my initiation into manhood, no doubt. Oh, uh, yeah. I was 17 when a buddy and I took a trip all the way across, well, from Oklahoma to mm -hmm. Vancouver, British Columbia, wow. all the way across through Quebec City, down the east coast, the eastern seaboard, back through Kentucky and Tennessee, all the way back to Oklahoma again in a 1968 Volkswagen. Wow. And I was 17 years old. It was uh, an amazing trip. And just like you said, it was a rite of passage. That's like, whoa, I'm not a boy anymore. After that, yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely, man. And, and even to this day, man, road trips are are just the best. And at that age, I couldn't. I didn't do anything that early on, but I imagine that was really, really eye opening for you. Yeah. Oh, it was crazy. New York City in a 1968 Volkswagen, trying to find your <laughs> way around. You know, a, a couple oh, of guys from Podunk. You know, I might my yeah. hometown had about ten thousand people in it. Right. I grew up on a farm, so. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> anyway, yeah, oh, it was eye-opening. No doubt, eye-opening. Very, very fun time. Oh, sounds like a panic attack, man, trying to get through <laughs> New York City. <laughs> Boston was worse. Boston was worse. <laughs> wow. I oh, think man. Boston has the most challenging traffic in the United States. I think it's because the roads were made for carriages, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Really they were skinny. like old cow trails that eventually <laughs> had carriages and yeah it's like not even a grid pattern it's just all kinds of different directions yeah and that just gives boston all the the character you know that makes it so special yeah. so that's all a part of it let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible that is plenty of that for now let's get back into the episode Man, what a crazy ride. So then you finish up, you get all the way back to Florida. How did it feel when you rolled up to your driveway? It was nuts, man. Our families were there. Uh, yeah, our families and friends. My buddy Paul, he his girlfriend was graduating college that summer, so we had a deadline. And we made it by probably a week. And they're, they're married now, so it was a very serious relationship even at the time. Um, but they were all waiting for us, man. They couldn't believe it. I'm from this. I'm a, from a town of three thousand people in Central Florida, like a pretty podunk town. I love it. Don't get me wrong, but people just don't do stuff like that. So it was right. kind of a big deal um, for my family, just because I don't know. I didn't have any real examples to go off of. We just did this crazy thing, and then when we got back, man, it was so funny because we both come from families that don't really do stuff like this we, we come out here i live here and now i realize all oh, that kind of thing's normal everybody's doing something like that um or you know something crazy or, or or long sort of journeys but we got back home and everyone confessed to all the bets they had made of where we were going to quit so <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny they were like yeah one of my 
one of Paul's dad's friends bet that we were going to die on the trip. And he actually <laughs> apologized to us after the trip. And I just thought, dang, no one had any faith in us. This is kind of disappointing. <laughs> but it wasn't that nuts. But no, it was it was it was it was neat to get back. And and uh, I would say, man, that just that started it all off um, after that. We just wanted in a way to chase that high and to chase that purpose. It's 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 like a machine, man. There's so many moving parts to trips like that. It's not one thing that you fall in love with as much as it is just the entire experience from preparing to uh, just kind of just having a faith that it's going to work out. Um, you, you know, when, we, when every trip I feel greatly unprepared for, even now, um, even, you know, with all the experience and with training and all that, but they're all... It evolves over time, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I think it's kind of futile for us to chase that that thrill of the first trip we've ever done, um, having literally no clue what we were doing. Now at least we have some knowledge of it. So, so it's different now, but still just kind of what I live for, I guess you could say. Well, you've done several more trips, and then eventually you did the Colorado Trail Race and the Tour Divide. Um, when you did the Tour Divide, was that motivated by the racing aspect of it, or was it more just a matter of, hey, this would be another cool trip, another way to see things? You know, it's funny. I, I just thought about it today, how we got, um, how I did the Tour Divide, how I even found out about it. We were riding our bike, and we wanted to hit, everyone was telling us on the Alaska trip um, to go through uh, Jasper and Banff National Park and uh, national parks so we decided to and rode the Icefield parkway with just it, it absolutely blew that's where i saw got close to the my first really big beautiful mountains and just fell in love oh yeah and we hit banff the third the second thursday in june which is the night before the tour divide starts every year the second friday of june every year and all these mountain bikers are all in town in banff I'm like, what is everybody doing? So we start talking to some of them. They're like, yeah, there's this thing called, at the time, most people called it the Great Divide Mountain Bike Race. Um, so it was starting to transition to being called the Tour Divide. And some people were calling it that. But uh, we were like, what, what is this thing going on? They're like, oh, yeah, tomorrow morning, all these you know, hundreds of cyclists, 100, 100, 150 or so, are leaving for Mexico. And I'm like, holy cow, that's a thing? <laughs> and I'm like, Paul, we got to do this in a couple years. Literally two years to the day, we were standing at the start starting line, um, but that's how we found out about it. We just stumbled upon it by accident, and uh, this kind of speaks to our the way we prepare uh, in Florida. We don't have any elevation, so when we were preparing for the Tour Divide, we were just running and, and swimming and cycling some, but this is just as a word of encouragement for the listeners. My buddy Paul, when we, st- when we were sitting on the starting line for the Tour Divide, that was his third time ever being on a mountain bike, ever in his life. <laughs> we bought the bikes. We rode them. He had, you know, obviously cycled with me on these trips, but never had we done – there's just not the trails in Florida like there is out west. So right. we were pretty limited. It was another one of those, let's just do it. We had one set of paper maps between us. No cyclo computer, or we did, but it broke like in a week. We didn't feel like we should replace them, man. We just relied on our gut, followed the tracks of other riders, and uh, 
kind of had the same philosophy with the tour divide. We kind of rode together just because, you know, we wanted to. <laughs> a lot of people don't. A lot of people do it alone. But this was going to I knew this was going to be kind of our last big trip together. Um, but man, that was that was just another adventure in itself. I got lost for a few days. He got lost for a few days. We reconnected and it was nuts, man. That that is one heck of a trip. If there's anybody <laughs> out there thinking about and, and it's gaining in popularity. That was 2013 we did that. And again, that just kind of reinstated this passion for the American West, um, which actually led to the Tour Divide was the first leg of like a 10,000-mile trip that I was doing. I had just graduated college, and I wanted to see all the national parks. And uh, so I just said, let's do the Tour Divide. Paul, you can fly home, and I'm going to continue on through a tour of 30 national parks. Wow. So after we hit Mexico, I turned around and headed towards Seattle, zigzagging across the West, seeing as many parks as I could, and uh, kind of ended that trip with two another big loop of the country and ending finally in Yosemite to stay and live there for a while. Um, but I don't know, man. That, that, that entire experience, including the Tour Divide, was just, it was not nearly as hard um, after the tour divide, the rest of the riding, because Paul was gone. Paul's kind of like a robot. I'm more <laughs> of like, let's just drink coffee for four hours in the morning, then we can do our riding. <laughs> kind of enjoying the experience. Um, but, but that was another really, really uh, defining trip in my life, for sure. Wow. That does sound crazy defining. I mean, how many people can say that they've done anything like that, biking to that many national parks, much less the Tour Divide itself? Give us some stats, just so our listeners get a feel for this. Tour Divide is Canada to Mexico. How many thousand miles? It, when I did it, and I don't know if it's changed, I don't think it has, it's 2,750 miles. Um, it's a quarter million feet of climbing, of elevation uh, gain over that course uh you cross it's you stay on the continental divide pretty much as close as you can but you cross it i think 33 times and uh so we did ours in 25 days so that's an average of 10,000 feet of climbing a day oh. boy these this florida boy could feel it man <laughs> <laughs> i'll bet oh god so how many but, miles a day were you averaging then we were doing about i think 110 115 miles a day, um, which honestly is average, I guess. We finished, I think there was 140 racers that year. I think we finished like 59th and 60th because <laughs> <laughs> we, we raced to the end um, and a storm was coming in. And uh, like probably the last 30 miles, it's paved to Antelope Wells, New Mexico. And Paul and I, we've all had this healthy competition. I by no means am on his level of, of fitness, but definitely pushes me to be better uh but we're racing towards the end and it's kind of it's getting a little feisty he runs me off the road and i fall into a ditch oh and no i stand up cursing him and then i try i catch back up and i'm totally silent i catch back up to his back wheel before he sees me and i mean for probably an hour we are standing on the pedals on this flat desert road with these huge like dust turbines all around us these dirt devils with this giant uh, lightning storm rolling in and I, we are just cranking it out trying to you know beat each other and 
we get to the finish man and I collapse. Literally the finished picture is me laying on the ground face down <laughs> and him <laughs> holding his bike up over his head. So who won in it, the end? It was he won by about thirty feet. Honestly, oh. He pulled away. Um but man, he he ran me off literally ran me into the dirt, into the ditch, falling down on my face and had to get back up. <laughs> well that gave you the adrenaline you needed to go for it, right? Absolutely. It gave me the, the, yeah, I was furious after that, but it ended well. And then he went home and I, man, I just went at my own pace, headed towards uh, the Northwest, probably hitting 15, 20 national parks on the way. Mm. Wow. What a cool trip. So if people want to do stuff like this, maybe it's not the tour divide. Maybe it's just, I'd love to get out and bike, cover some distance and see stuff. What recommendations do you have for them? As far as like where to go, how to get or... started? Yeah. Oh man, how to get started? Ah, if 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 you're just starting, if you're going straight from the couch, man, just get outside and just go for a walk, maybe half a mile or a mile, and just see as much as you can. Like you know, keep your head on a swivel, as my basketball coach used to say, and just try to take in as much as you can because. I don't know. I guess doing these trips has helped me to see that, man, every day, no matter where I'm working, I work on houses. No matter what house I'm working on or, or what my, my commute that day, there's always something really interesting to see, something beautiful. And, you know, there's just these nuggets of, 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 of beauty and interesting things everywhere you look if you just decide to look at things that way. So I would say, um, half the enjoyment is just what you see and that's a that's a mindset that you have to kind of cultivate and then to get as much visualization in front of you just put yourself in motion if that's walking just go for a little walk maybe a way you've never gone before or just go for a little bike ride around the block um you'll probably if you're not used to those two activities i guarantee you'll see the same things you've always seen before in a totally new way man because going by something at three miles an hour is a lot different than 45, 50 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. So just get started. Get out and move and see and do and, and find out that the world is a magical place. Absolutely. And just, man, I I, I don't know. I, it's probably, I'm preaching to myself here because I probably don't do that as much um, as I should anymore. But, yeah, there's beauty to be taken in everywhere you are. Mm. That's cool. You just have to open your eyes to see it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Well, let's talk about Camp Crate a little bit. I don't know anything about Camp Crate, but it sounds cool. So fill me in. What is Camp Crate? Camp Crate is a company that my friend and I started, a friend from Yosemite, which is basically we we send backpacking kits to anyone anywhere in the country um, to help them go on backpacking trips. So basically, we will send you literally a crate, a box with a tent, sleeping bag, backpack, um, sleeping pad, headlamp, water filter, and even there's food options as well. And uh, a jet boil comes with it, too. Um, We'll send you that wherever, at a trailhead or at a post office, and you can go on your trip 
um, put it back in the box and you ship it back to us with a uh, prepaid um, return label that's inside. Dude, that is so cool. Yeah, it, it, honestly, man, like it is really cool because what you'll find out is that I mean, it's really good equipment. It's probably you know a thousand dollar kit when you add everything up. Um, but we realized that because things are so expensive, there's a lot of people that don't want to just drop that kind of money just to try backpacking or to try camping. Right. Um, but they need things that, that are light enough and quality enough that they can carry on their back and they can have a good time and stay safe. Um, so what it's kind of turned into is a lot of people that have never done this before or very limited experience um, want to rent our stuff. So we get to walk them through what their first camping trip is going to be like. And and so it's kind of turned into a, a concierge service as well to where we're kind of invested in each person that inquires about one of our uh, crates. We'll help them plan their trip. We'll help them figure out where they're camping, um, like even water sources and stuff like that. And uh, while they're on the trip, we're just all, you know, well, we're in touch with them saying like, how's it going? And, uh, get their feedback once they get back, man. And it's, it's really rewarding because you know what it's like, man. It's something you're scared of, something that's not always comfortable, but after you're done, it's just like, wow, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. And I want to do it again. So it's been neat to see that. What I love about what you're doing there is that, you know, I'm always telling people how to get started backpacking and it's like, well, you don't have to spend a lot of money up front if you buy this heavy piece of junk. And then you lug it around and you wish you had something better. And yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But yeah, oh, yeah. the barrier Absolutely. to entry really is the cost of the equipment. And I'm always trying to find ways that people can try it out without dumping a wad of cash. And so you've just solved that problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we also help you with, you know, we will give you advice on, on how to make it happen. We're just, I'm just going to, you know, give it to you and let you do your, let you not know what to do with it. Um, we'll give you like we, like for instance, there's this guy from Florida that's written some stuff now from us in Yosemite. And, uh, I think it snowed on him the other day and we were like, Hey man, are you okay? Is it going all right? And he messaged us that morning said, yeah, it's going, you know, it's fine. This is still great, great trip. Um, so, so we keep in touch with the people. And so we really want them to have the best experience they possibly can. So, so if people want to try out your, your camp crate, how do they do it? How do they get in touch with you? All right. Well, um, best way to reach us is going to our website, which is campcrate.net. And it's uh, really explains what it is. But there's this little uh, message thing at the bottom that you can uh, chat with us and ask us questions and all that. And, but, but the page itself, our, our website itself, explains it pretty well. And uh, yeah, man. If anyone out there is at all interested in backpacking, wanting to get into it, want to try it out for really, really reasonable, like we make it, we make it appealing for people to 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 give it a shot, and also have someone there to to help you plan your trip. Yeah, give us give us a shout. We'd love to help out. And I mean, it's just it's an adventure for us because we get to hear about people's stories once they once they get back. So. We'd love to help you go on your first backpacking or camping trip. If not your first, then then one where you couldn't bring your own equipment for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Right on. So speaking of stories, you know, you just mm-hmm. said how cool it is to, to hear other people's stories when they get back. Well, that's that's the whole point of the Adventure Sports Podcast is to hear the stories from people that did amazing things, stories like you've been telling us today. 
Tell us a story about a time that things did not go right. It could be on any one of your rides, you know, any of your experiences, Ooh. but just a classic day that was completely upside down. Oh man. I'll drop I'll drop the hammer on you, man. This is one of my Oh, this is one that still kind of scares me today. One of them is when the buffalo chased us. That was absolutely nuts, but everything went perfectly. <laughs> we didn't die. Right. So. All's well that ends well. Yeah. Uh, man, when I was doing the National Park Tour, man, there was a day um, I was planning to make my way towards the coast and go up the coast um, after hitting some of the big parks in California. I was just out. I mean, I've always wanted to see Yosemite, but right in my way was Death Valley. Mm. And I had to get through Death Valley. The problem was it was the last weekend of July. And I don't know what I was thinking because I decided to go right through Death Valley on the hottest weekend of the year. Wow. Which I, I had a lot of people tell me not to, to be honest. And I, you know, I really considered I was in Vegas for a while and thought, oh, this is so stupid. Um, but decided to go. Got down, descended down in the Death Valley, went up to Zabriskie Point where uh, U2 has their famous Joshua Tree album cover. And I'm a huge U2 fan. So it was like, oh, this is so neat. But I could just tell. Man, it felt like an oven out here. It was, I don't know, probably 118, 120 degrees that day. I get down to Furnace Creek at the bottom um, before you start climbing out of the Death Valley. And I just can't even sleep. And I am so exhausted. Like it, the, the sun has just drained me so much that day that I, I'm a little worried. And I'm falling asleep like out there in the desert. And I got my food with me. Man, I wake up in the middle of the night and there's, there's coyotes eating my food oh, right no. next to me. And I wake up and scare them all away and, and go back to sleep, and I'm kind of kind of freaking me out. So I decided to get up pretty early that morning and try to get out. Well, I kind of misjudged um, where I was, how far I was going to get because I there's an 18 mile climb up a pass to get out of Death Valley, or so I thought. You go from below sea level to 5,000 feet in about 18 miles, and there's a rest stop about ha- a rest stop. It's a bathroom and a faucet about halfway up. And I start climbing this pass at about noon, which was so stupid. And the road was so hot and that my water bottles were starting to droop through my through my bottle cages. It was wow. like there's they say on a hot day like that, the road can reach 208, 210 degrees, which blew my mind because that's only a couple degrees under what boils water, 212. Right. And no joke, there were signs that they put out that said, don't stop on the road, it'll melt your rubber tires. And I had rubber handlebars on my touring bar, bike on my hoods, and they were sticking to my gloves. It was like melted gum. It was absolutely absurd how hot it was. It, it got up to about 125 that day. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I'm trying to ride on this white line, and I actually took a pillowcase from the last hotel I was in and... and uh, Las Vegas, and I drenched it in water and cut eyes out of it and like a face out of it. <laughs> it looked ridiculous, but it protected me from the sun. And people were stopping and taking pictures, like like foreign visitors, but wouldn't talk to me. I could tell they because they would talk to each other, and it wasn't in English, so I was. But they wouldn't talk to me, and they'd stop and take a picture and keep going. And I'm really starting to feel it halfway up this route, so I decide to stop at this rest area or under this awning is all it was and i just pass out and i get some water out of this faucet that's just scorching hot coming out of the crown and i lay there 
I don't know how long I was there. I had a terrible migraine. I was probably incredibly dehydrated. And I thought, I, I'm quitting the trip. Like, I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm about to, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm blowing through it, but it was a long day. This was a, this was a really mentally torturing experience the first six hours of this day trying. I didn't think I was going to get to this rest area. And I was woken up by a ranger, a park ranger. He's like, sir, sir, are you okay? Are you okay? And I woke up. And I'm like, yeah, well, well, what's going on? And he, the first thing he asked me, this park ranger, was, are you alone? And I was like, oh, you look around. You can see for 30 miles. Like, yeah, I'm all alone. <laughs> but no, he was like, are you riding alone? Are you on this trip alone or whatever you're doing? I was like, yeah, yeah, what's, what's going on? He's like, oh, man. And he kind of like put his hand on his chest like, like as a relief. He's like, oh, so this, he goes, so you weren't riding with any other cyclists? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm all by myself. He's like, well, we just found another guy that's that's touring. He was at the bottom of this pass. He had had a heat stroke and fallen on the road and died there oh, just no. an hour before. And he was this French guy that was touring across America. And uh, he was my age. And the problem is, man, the road's so hot, if it burns your skin. If you were to, I mean, I just don't even want to imagine what it's like to pass out on it. Right. And not be able to, so they, it was just a bad, bad scene. And he was like, well, sir, I don't want anything like that to happen again today. He goes, we're going to try to keep everyone safe. He goes, how are you feeling? And I was honest. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't feel very good. I woke up really nauseous and the migraine was just pounding. And he's like, do I need to take you somewhere? He goes, I'll drive you to Las Vegas or to Pahrump or wherever you need to go. And I thought, let me let me just think about it. So he decided to give me his number and give him a call later if I needed it, which didn't matter because there's no service out there. Oh no! And I was I was really emo I was really out of it, like really hazy in my mind, and just I felt drunk, honestly. Um, and I thought, yeah, I'm gonna quit. I'm not gonna die out here. That forget that. Yosemite's not worth it. And so I decided I was gonna quit, man. And uh, it was kind of a. a I didn't think about it too much. I was just like, I'm going to quit, which which I'm glad that it didn't work out that way. I, I, I get on my bike, and I start going downhill. And just as I am going down this hill, this guy is cresting the hill. I see a cowboy hat, and then I see this shirtless guy in sandals covered in tattoos riding his bike up the hill. And I'm like, what the heck? Who's this guy? And he was touring. This guy was touring around the world, had been on the road for like six years Whoa! and was going all over the place. And he had seen everything and just, I'm like, all right, I got to stop and at least talk to this guy. And so we, I turned around. I'm only like 20 feet past this, this uh, awning. We go sit under this, this pavilion thing and we're talking. He's from South Africa. He is just the coolest person I've ever met. And he's telling me all these crazy stories. And I was like, He's like, well, which way, you know, where are you headed? Because I saw you getting ready to go down the hill. I was like, well, actually, I was getting ready to quit. I was going to ride down to the bottom. I don't know why. I guess it had been a long time. I was just ready to go home. Um, and my dad and stepmom had came to see me in Las Vegas. So I was like kind of homesick. <laughs> um, but he was like, you were about to quit right now? And I was like, yeah, I was really thinking about it. And I was like, I imagine if I rode down to the ranger station at the bottom of this pass, I wasn't about to turn around and try to go back up tomorrow. And he just gave me the most motivational speech you could imagine, man. And he's like, well, I'm not going to let you quit, man. We're going <laughs> to camp together tonight. And he goes, you're not allowed to quit. And I'm just 
kind of kicking myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I stop and talk to this guy? He's ruining my plans. <laughs> and so we decided to camp that night, man. And uh, we're sleeping out next to this pavilion on these picnic tables to like keep away from the scorpions. And uh, we have a great time together just chatting and hanging out. I didn't tell him that I had uh, set the wristwatch on my uh, on my wrist. I set an alarm for one in the morning because what I was going to do was wake up and ride to the bottom of the hill so I didn't have to talk to him about it. <laughs> but which, which was, you know, I was going to quit without telling him after telling right. him that I wouldn't quit. But I mean, I, thinking back, man, it's like, what were you thinking? Like, that's not me. I know that's not who I am. I don't like, I don't want to lie to people to their face, but just the heat was really getting to me. I'll just put it that way. It was kind of frying my brain. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to quit, man. I'm going to quit. So we're to sleep on the tables. And about midnight, man, I felt something hit me in the face. And I woke up. I'm like, what the heck was that? It felt like water. And then it happened again. And then again. Sure enough, man, it started to rain in Death Valley. It was wow. the first time it had rained there in like two years. Because I looked it up. Not only did it start to rain, man, it started to poor and we had so much so it woke both of us up we had to get underneath this pavilion on this you know tin roof it was so loud i couldn't even go back to sleep and i was just i couldn't sleep because i thought this is my chance this is my chance to get out of here without killing myself so i just jumped on my bike i put on my headlamp and i told i told this guy from south africa i'm like hey man i'm just gonna go for it he's like all right dude have a great trip I probably will never see you again, so and I didn't. So I jumped on my bike, man, and uh, started heading up the pass another nine miles. But the problem is you get up to 5,000 feet, drop back down the sea level, then have to climb another four, oh. and then you're out of the valley. Oh, gosh, it was terrible. But, dude, it, it, it was like a miracle. It's, it started pouring. It, and then actually I found out it poured so much that it washed part of the roads away. And I later got in touch with this guy, and he said, yeah, I was stuck there for a while because there was boulders on the road. There was sand all over the road. It had washed a lot of the asphalt away. And they had to close down Death Valley for I don't know how long to, to repair the roads. And I had just made it out of there. And, dude, I would say this. After that Death Valley experience, the most incredible parts of the trip came after that. So it of just kind of makes me shudder to think that I almost quit at this brick wall that I was hitting and I would never, never have experienced all this I experienced now. And those experiences have led directly to me moving here to Colorado and probably to you and me talking. So who knows if, if that would have, my plans would have gone through and I would have quit. Yeah. It's very, there's a good chance we wouldn't be talking now. And I don't know. I'm just so thankful that all those things kind of helped me to push forward. It's almost like, you know, you're going to be let known what the direction you're supposed to take. It's going to become clear and clear. There's always going to be an option to keep going. And I'm just glad people have been kind of placed there to, to nudge me whenever I just want to give up. So, yeah, it kind of sounds like divine providence, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Hey, you do. Uh, um, you know, the song by Dave Matthews, walking man. Yes. Yes. You know, he's talking about, Hey, walking man. Uh, what save me if you can you know what i'm saying and <laughs> yeah. it's like some guy walks up to him in the middle of the desert and 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 changes his life i mean that more or less right that's what happened to you that's crazy yeah, yeah man there, there was actually a day on the tour divide that i passed out out in the desert after making a uh, wrong turn 
and I, I went 20 miles the wrong direction because oh. I got separated from Paul. I didn't have a, a map on me um, or a cycle computer or GPS or anything. And I got lost out in, on this forest road somewhere out in the desert. And I passed out a guy named this, this Spanish guy that barely spoke English named Reggie found me. And it was so crazy. I'm like, I've never met anyone from Mexico named Reggie. And it's so nuts because that's my, <laughs> that's my dad's name. Is wow. And, and it was like one of those experiences. He took me back to his house and like recouped me and got me back on track. And it was just like stuff like that. I don't know. Just let you know you're where you're supposed to be in a lot of ways. Part of the bigger me, picture. Yeah. Part of Absolutely. the bigger picture. Very cool stories. I can't believe the way that, you know, people have amazing experiences if they just go and do, you know, what would have happened if you never took off on that trip? Right. Who would you be now instead of who you are now? Yeah, dude, I, I'm telling you, it, it is the most exhilarating way to live. But I'd say day to day, there's nothing that special about anything. I mean, like I said, I, I have a house painting company. I, you know, I'm not doing anything that exciting day to day, but it's, you know, those, those seasons in life where you can really throw yourself out there and just, you just kind of learn to say yes to things like, yeah, I'm going to take this invitation or yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take this trail or yeah, I'm going to just go for this walk. You'll just come back with stories you never imagined you would ever have. And a lot of times you don't recognize it when it's happening. But once the job is done or once you get through it, you look back and say, holy cow, that's a that's a story. Yeah. Like, I just went through that. And you see it in, in hindsight and it is just it blows your mind. Sure. And so I, I definitely say that's why I keep doing these things. Man, I, I'm not this 14ers trip coming up. It's not about the mountains at all. Like at all. It's just it's a way to, to ensure that I'm going to get out there to make stories happen. And it's just basically throwing all the ingredients into a bowl and saying, let's see what this turns into. And I'm open for change. All right. So we're running out of time, but I wanted you to give us a brief sketch of what you have coming up in August with the 14ers. Tour to 14ers. Now, I've not heard of people doing this. I've heard of people biking to 14ers, but has anyone ever done this where you bike to all of them and climb them all? Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's been a few over the years, but the two big proponents um, who kind of made this a thing, not the two, but Justin Simone from Boulder, he's, he's the one that kind of put this together and, and is trying to make it a, a, a thing. Um, but he was the first one to do it in recent years. I think that was in 2014 or 15 that he did it. But I've been in touch with him a little bit about this. And then a guy named Joe Grant from Boulder area as well. He's an ultra runner, kind of pretty well known. Um, he did it last year. Um, Justin did it in 35 days, and Joe Grant did it 31 days. And both wow. of those guys are pretty impressive to me. Um, I'm not. Don't worry. I'm not going to try to go for any record or anything. <laughs> I'm trying to do it in about 40, 45 days or so. And. Uh, yeah, man. One, one of my goals every trip is to get a picture of a lifetime every day. I'm just constantly clicking that shutter on the camera. And so th th between the stories and the pictures, that's what's just so exciting to me about the whole experience. And um, I don't know. It's, it's going to be challenging for sure. So are you going to put the um, pictures on Instagram? 
Yes, absolutely. That's and I, actually that's probably the best way to follow me and what I'm doing is uh, Instagram and my little um, thing on there is Alive Adventures. I guess you could say that's like brand. Um, and again, that's Alive Adventures. Alive Adventures. Yep. Um, yeah, actually. So, Live Adventures on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, com is my website. And then uh, Camp Crate also has an Instagram, a pretty active Instagram. And that's campcrate.net if anyone's interested in that. Campcrate.net. Um, yep. Well, Mason, thanks so much, man. This is awesome. I, I really enjoyed hearing your stories. I love what you've done, and, and I love the inspiration that you throw out there, man. You laid it on the table for us. All we have to do is pick it up. You even provide us with the gear if we need it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, absolutely, man. Well, yeah, follow the trip. Uh, thanks for having me on here. I've been listening for probably a year now, and I get inspiration from this show every day. And so I'm definitely going to be getting some motivation while on this trip. I'm going to need it, I'm sure. So, <laughs> so keep getting the episodes out there. <laughs> well, thanks, man, for listening. We really appreciate that. And we do want to hear about your tour to 14ers when you're done. So sometime okay. in September, we've got to get you back on while it's still fresh on your mind. Okay. All right. That's, that's, a, that's a deal. Let's do it. That's awesome. Okay. We'll do it then. So listeners... Sometime in September, October, we're going to be talking to Mason again and find out how he did on his tour to 14ers. I think it's going to be an amazing trip with amazing stories again. So thanks a lot, Mason, for your time. And for all of our listeners out there, remember until the next show to get out there, have some fun. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.